I'll mention, I'll mention too that, that women's Bible study that happens here on Thursday mornings. Uh, if you're a woman who is looking for a good Bible study, it's an awesome group. Uh, and you are more than welcome to, to, the leaders of that Bible study have told me over the years, if there's women in your church that want to come and join us, and I think some women in the room have taken advantage of that uh, in the past. And so uh, if you would like to, there is in the loop, our email every Monday, there's the times that that takes place uh, and everything and everything else. So you're welcome to join. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. And uh, it's good to be together in worship. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm the teaching pastor here in Belmont and uh, the executive pastor at, at Mount Hope. And uh, I have the privilege of entering into God's word with you today. There's this word that, that uh, gets used quite a bit in our, in our world, and it's a word that I think most of us actually, actually like, and the word is restoration. Restoration is the process of old things becoming new. You have something that is not the way it's supposed to be. It has maybe fallen apart and deteriorated, and uh, there's this process of it being made new. We like when things are made new uh, just from nothing. We like that process, but there's something about this restoration process that's really intriguing to us. I'll tell you how I, I can tell it's intriguing to us, because it doesn't matter what uh, streaming service or TV channel I turn on, there's some sort of program, and many of these are rated very highly, where the restoration of things is the whole reason the program exists. If I say Chip and Joanna, many of you know who I'm talking about. And the reason you know who I'm talking about is because they're famous for taking old things and making them new. And it's not just houses. That's what Chip and Joanna Gaines uh, got famous for doing, is taking old houses and making them new. There's this old house uh, which if you're a true New Englander, that's the one that really warms your heart that's up there. But there's shows about cars being restored, and there's shows about the repair shop on Netflix. That's a pretty cool one if you've never seen that. Uh, it's from the UK, and they did remaking clocks and antiques and all sorts of things uh, on that show. There's something about things being, old things being made new that we like, and we don't just like it uh, with things like cars and houses. We like it with people, too. Uh, we like the story of the person whose life has gotten rusty and old and worn out. Uh, someone who's been, who's been left on their own and they've overcome and they've been made new. We love that story too, don't we? Here's the thing about restoration uh, as I think about it. Restoration is never as easy of a process as you want it to be. Restoration is never as easy as a process as you want it to be. I mean, I know that uh, just the process we walked through with this building, restoring it for two years. We would have loved for it to take less than two years. But by the time you have permits and you tear down a wall and you discover things you never thought were going to be in that wall, and there's, there's beams that need to be replaced and all sorts of things that come up, the process of restoration just takes longer than you want it to. And if you don't do it correctly, the end result is not going to be what you want it to be. If you've ever tried to restore something, you know this is true. Have you ever gotten a, a scratch in your car? And you said to yourself, uh, well, all it needs is some wax. And you get the wax and you put it on there and, and you can't, you can't uh, get it out of there because it's not just in the paint, the scratch is in the metal. And the only way to get that scratch, scratch uh, out of there 
is to take it to someone who knows what they're doing and have them do the hard work of sanding that down until the point that the scratch is removed. Restoration always takes more work than we want it to. I remember uh, we used to be in a community group, a little Bible study at someone's house. And uh, we, we were young couples at the time and newly married and got together with all of our friends. And one of our, our friends that hosted, they had bought a brand new coffee table at one point. It was this beautiful coffee table. And it was, uh, it was one of these coffee tables. It, was, it, it had on the side these little glass doors that you could do some latches and fold them down. You could put old books that you've never read before in there to make yourself look smart. And then you flip them back up. And it was a really a beautiful coffee table. And I remember one time we came into uh, our community group and it, it, uh, it wasn't that old of a piece of furniture. And I noticed that it was a completely different color stain. That the whole coffee table, all the intricate pieces of the windows and the doors and everything, the latches, all of it had been remade. And so me being the inquisitive person that I, my wife tells me, you notice those things and say nothing. But I have a hard time doing that. So I said, of course, just blurt out, what's the deal with the coffee table? Why is it a different color? And uh, they said, oh. We spilled a little drop of nail polish remover on the top of the coffee table. And it ate away the stain. And we took it to the person that restores coffee tables. They found the, a person that restores coffee tables. And the person said, listen, I can restain this little piece. But you're always going to know it was there. The only way to get the coffee table to look like new is to sand down every last piece of this coffee table, every door, every piece, and restain the entire thing. I can stain this part for you, but it's never going to look the way you want it to look unless I redo the whole thing. And that's the deal with restoration, isn't it? It's always more than you want it to be. It's always a bigger project. It takes a lot of work. Now, here's the thing that's true about our God. If you follow God of the Bible... You have relationship with him through Jesus Christ. God is in the business of restoration. Because here's the truth. You and I need restoration. Right? We know it. We feel it. And some of us are sitting there like, yeah, I know I need restoration. I need like these lines to be restored. And I need my fitness to be restored. I need my eyes to be restored. All sorts of things. But that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about spiritual restoration. Because of the effects of sin in our lives and because of the effect of sin in this, in this world, all of us have a need to be restored. The Apostle Paul talks about this in his, his second letter to the church in Corinth. And this is a verse that, that I think if you've been around church for a little while, it's, it's fairly well known, but it reminds us that this is what God does. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. I know for many of us, that's a, that's a favorite verse. This reminder that, that what God does is he comes and he gets rid of all that is old inside of us. And he makes us new. He brings about restoration. That's God's work. And so if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the story of, of the life of a man named Jacob. 
And Jacob, uh, his story is told very early in Scripture, as you know by Andrew saying we're on page 27 of the Bible. Jacob's uh, story comes early in Scripture, and we're in Genesis chapter 32 here this morning. And if you've been with us, we've, we've followed Jacob's story for a while. Jacob is like you and like me. He is in need of restoration. But Jacob is also like you and like me in that he likes to be in control of his restoration. He likes to be the one trying to work it out. And so here's what we've seen about Jacob's life so far. I'm going to summarize it as quickly as I can. Uh, before Jacob was born, there was a, a prophecy over his mother. And the prophecy said uh, that she had two nations in her womb. And the prophecy said that the younger or the older would serve the younger which is very unusual. In fact, almost completely unheard of in that day and time. The oldest son that was born would be the one that would be in charge and receive the power and status within the family. But the prophecy says that the, younger, that the older will serve the younger. And when Jacob comes out of the womb, he is a fighter. Uh, his brother Esau is born before him. Esau is the older. And as Jacob is born, the text says that he was born grasping Esau's heel. In fact, that's where his name Jacob comes from, is he who grasps the heel. And so he comes out as a fighter. And we see this throughout Jacob's life, that God has promised this blessing over him, that the blessing that was given to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac would come through the younger son Jacob. And yet Jacob, multiple times, uh, is attempting to take on the, bless the, the project of making the blessing his own uh, himself. Uh, pastor Rick and our, Pastor Rick Piccarello, who's our senior pastor and pastor of our, of our Burlington campus, in our preaching meetings, as we've talked about these texts, he said a number of times, he says, I think you're, you're living under God's blessing when you can say to yourself, and I love this line that I've heard him say, uh, you're living under the blessing of God when you can say to, you, say to yourself and to others, it is well with me, but not because of me. I like that line. It is well with me, but not because of me. That's how you know you're, you're living under God's blessing. I think that Jacob, for, for much of his younger life, is saying, it is well with me because of me. Like, I'm keeping this thing going under my own strength. And so he's around God and he believes in God, the God of his father Isaac, uh, the God of his grandfather Abraham. He's around that God. He believes that in that God. He knows that God has given a, his family a blessing. And yet you can see him striving under his own strength multiple times to keep it going. He has his brother trade him his birthright. He deceives his brother and his father to take the blessing that would have been Esau's traditionally. In fact, he makes his brother Esau so angry that Jacob has to leave because his brother is threatening to kill him. And so Jacob leaves and goes to stay uh, with relatives of his mother in a place called Haran. And I actually, this week, put together a little bit of a map so we can get a picture of how far Jacob is traveling. Jacob is moving from Beersheba uh, in the promised land in modern-day Israel, I believe, and he's going all the way up into where is modern-day Turkey. Many, many miles, a long journey to escape his brother and to be with his wife's family. 
Jacob goes and stays with his uncle Laban. And Jacob has been the one who's been the deceiver, the trickster. Tricked his brother, tricked his father. Now when he meets his uncle Laban, does anyone remember this from last week? Laban turns the tables on Jacob. And Laban tricks Jacob. And now Jacob spends 20 years working for his uncle. And then finally Jacob says, it's time to go. He then in turn tricks his uncle and leaves in the middle of the night and goes and heads out toward home. And he does it with God's blessing and God's word. In fact, God's the one that tells him to go in this case. And Jacob responds and he says, all right. And in the middle of the night, he leaves. Laban pursues him. God protects him. We talked about last week. And so now that we get to this part of the text at the beginning of Genesis 32, this is what we read. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Machanim. I want to I pause just for a moment because I want you to see how far Jacob has traveled. All right? Jacob has left Haran on his way back to the land of his father and his grandfather. He's gone a good distance. This is two verses. It makes it seem like maybe he just walked out of town. But he's traveled a long way when the angels of God meet him in this place. And Jacob's starting to think. Jacob's done a lot of work trying to restore himself. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life. You try to do a lot of work to put the old stuff behind you. In fact, maybe you've even moved just to get past it. Get away from it. You've gone on to somewhere new. You quit that job. You, you, you move schools. You're just trying to get away from the old you. God tells Jacob to go home. And as he's heading home, he knows there's still somebody around that it's been 20 years since he's seen. And the last time he saw his brother Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. And so as Jacob's getting closer, this is all in his mind. And he finds peace because the angels of God meet him in this place. And here's what happens. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my Lord, Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your eyes. And so uh, Jacob, he's thinking about Esau. And he's thinking, okay, I'm coming back with all of these people into this land with my flocks and everything else. Esau has been waiting for this day. I better, I better try to smooth this out in some way. So what he does is he sends messengers uh, down south to Edom. And in fact, uh, I, I was having trouble in my digital atlas getting Edom and Haran on the same screen, all right? So Edom's further south than what you see there. But Jacob, he sends messengers and he says, get ready and go tell, go find Esau south of the screen, he might have told them, and, and just tell him that I've got my own money, I've got my own flocks, and, and maybe we can be friends. Watch what happens. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. Esau saw on TikTok that Jacob was on his way and he's already coming. 
and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So here's what happens. Jacob sends down his messengers. If you go to that, if you go to that last one, Jacob sends down his messengers, and all of a sudden Esau is coming up from the south. The messengers see Esau. They in turn hightail it back to Jacob and say, we have bad news, Jacob. Uh, Esau is coming with 400 men. This is not good. And you can see all of Jacob's greatest fears are coming to fruition here. In verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the other camp that is left can escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob has this moment where the old comes back. Because the truth is, all of us know that we need to be restored. You feel it and I feel it. I've met people that outwardly say, you know, I'm just perfect the way I am and I accept myself the way I am. I'm just the way that I want to be. But internally, every single person I've ever met has some battle going on inside of them where they are trying to make themselves better, trying to make themselves new, and it is so difficult. And even those of us who call ourselves Christians... This whole uh, idea of being around God, we treat it a little bit like Jacob does. Jacob comes into a, a, a moment where he is fearful and distressed with Esau. He immediately comes up with his own plan, dividing his family into two camps. So if Esau attacks one, then the other one will be safe. And then after he's come up with his plan and everything that he wants to do, only then does he turn to God and pray and say, God, can you bless this two camp idea? And don't forget, you told my grandfather Abraham that you would protect our family. And the prayer is reactive. It is well because of me. And God blesses that and helps out. And here's the thing I think we see in Jacob's life, and I know it's true in my life. That despite your best efforts, you can never fully restore yourself. There's this idea that somehow we're going to get it done that we'll read enough self-help books and listen to enough podcasts and work hard enough, that we'll remake ourselves into the people that we want to be. But the problem that we have is, one, we're not really sure exactly what that's supposed to look like. And two, we don't have the ability to do it. And I know we don't like hearing that, especially in our current culture today, that would say, yes, you do. 
But I'll just speak for myself. I know my efforts constantly fall short. That I'm not even actually sure exactly what I'm, I'm working towards or what it's supposed to look like. I'm just trying to make it better. And at the end of the day, I don't really have the ability to restore my own heart and my mind to the way that God created it to be. Reminds me of, of something that happened in a small town in Spain in 2012. There was a fresco that was painted on the wall of a church in this little town, I believe it's pronounced Borja, Spain, town of about five, less than 5,000 people. And the, the fresco on the walls of the sanctuary of this little church had fallen under disrepair. In fact, this is a picture of, of how it looked years before. But if you, if you were to take a look at, at where the fresco was in 2012, uh, much more of this paint had worn away and it, it just did not look, uh, look well. And so there was a woman in the congregation named Cecilia Jimenez an amateur artist, and she said, bless her heart, I can do this. I can restore this. I can make this painting new. And so Cecilia took to making the painting new, and when she was done, it looks like this. That's true. <laughs> you don't even want to laugh, do you? So the internet took notice of this in 2012, and although it did not turn out well, the church actually profited, uh, profited greatly uh, because so many tourists who saw this on the internet traveled to this small town in Spain and wanted to see it for themselves, and the church uh, made a good amount of money. I want to suggest to you that when we take our own restoration efforts into our own hands, this is what we end up with. That when we say to ourselves, no, 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 I can do this, and I know what it's supposed to look like, and I can figure this out on my own, that we end up with something that God did not create us to be. In fact, we end up with something worse than we would have been on our own. And Jacob, he ends up in this situation with his brother because all of these efforts to make God's blessing happen in his life have led to this moment where now he is confronted with his greatest fears that his brother is going to make good on his threat from 20 years ago that he is going to come and attack and kill Jacob. But it's not just Jacob anymore. Now it is Jacob and his two wives and their servants and 11 children and all of the flocks that he has accumulated in the years working for Laban. So the, the risk of what could be lost here as Esau comes with 400 men to attack him is much greater than it ever was 20 years ago. And Jacob is panicking, trying to get it done. Here's the reality. If you want your heart and your mind restored to the way it's supposed to be, you need somebody who knows what you're supposed to look like and who has the ability to bring about true restoration to do the work for you. And so if you leave with only one thing today, here's what I hope you leave with is understanding that the God who created you is the only one who can restore you. The God who created you is the only one who can fully restore you. If anyone knows, any of you know me well, you know that 
that I love a good business book. I love a good leadership book. I love figuring things out and how to make things run better and, and work better. I like, I like uh, if someone's got a good life hack, I want to hear it. How things can run more efficiently. But none of that brings about true restoration. That's like surface level. Waxing the car type of stuff. You and I are in need of something deeper in our hearts and our minds. And only the God who created you is the one who can restore you. Jacob comes up with this plan. He's, gonna, he's, he's not just divided into two camps. Then he decides to send three waves of people with gifts for Esau. He said, all right, I've got two camps. Now, now he sends three waves of people. And the first wave has people and gifts. And he says to them, when you hit Esau, you say these gifts are from Jacob. And he said, maybe that will soften Esau's heart a little bit. And he won't be so mad at me. And then the second wave he sends out. And he says, now you, after the first wave, you give Esau more gifts. And then by the third wave, Jacob is hoping that Esau is so uh, grateful for these three waves of gifts that he's no longer mad at Jacob and they're able to be friends. Jacob doesn't feel good about this. He is restless. And so we read, come down to verse 22. We read a text that is both very well-known and very perplexing. The same night he, that's Jacob, arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. I don't know if that's a, something that Jacob did when he was stressed and worried. That he would send everyone away and allow himself to be alone. But nevertheless, he's alone here. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was pulled out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. I'll be honest with you. That's an, that's an odd story, isn't it? That's not an easy story to understand. In fact, trying to understand this story, I think, involves a lot of wrestling as we try to understand exactly what is happening here. I've heard this story in Sunday school as a kid growing up, that God wrestled with Jacob uh, in, this, in this moment. And and yet, what is actually happening here, and, and what does it mean? In order for you to be restored by God, a couple of things need to happen. 
You and I need to find ourselves in a place where we are fully surrendered to God. And in a place where through that process of restoration and being made to fully surrender, we do not let go of God. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Jacob, as he's alone, wrestles with a man until the break of day. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, but if you look at the context of the passage, and especially if you look at the context of the entirety of the book of Genesis, what, what, we're, what we believe happens here is that Jacob uh, wrestles, has a physical altercation with a representative of God, whether an angel from the Lord, but somebody who's representing God. So much so that Jacob, at the end of this battle, says, I have seen the Lord face to face. I heard one preacher, uh, as I was studying this passage, say something that I thought was helpful to me. Uh, he said, you know how sometimes you go to church and the person stands up and gives the sermon? And as that person is speaking, they are the ones that are formulating the words. But as that person speaks, that man or woman speaks, you are hearing the voice of God inside your heart and in your mind. If you've been around church for a while, maybe you've experienced something like that. I know I have. Where the person on the stage is speaking, but it's almost like God is speaking to my heart. And so I would leave church, and even though that person had been speaking, I would say God spoke to me at church. And I think something similar is happening here with Jacob. Where the representative of God is doing battle with Jacob. So much so to the point that Jacob is leaving and saying, I have wrestled with God, the angel of the Lord, God's representative. God and I have come face to face in this moment. I thought for me that was a helpful way to understand what is happening here. But nevertheless, Jacob comes to a moment that you're going to come to in your life and I come to in my life. Where we end up doing battle with God. Meaning that there are God's plans for our lives and blessing, and then there are our plans. And it usually comes in a moment when we are disillusioned, doesn't it? It usually comes in a moment where we've tried to make all of our plans, just like Jacob has, and all of a sudden the old life is coming back into it, and we feel ourselves out of control, we feel ourselves a bit disillusioned, and that's when the wrestling match with God begins. And let me tell you something. I don't think it's wrong to wrestle with God. I don't think there's any problem with that. Wrestle through faith and science. God can handle it. I think there's too much stuff in the church where people say, oh, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, no science. And then the scientists say, well, if you're going to follow science, no Jesus. Wrestle through that stuff. You can follow Jesus. There's all this stuff where we experience negative things in this world and hardships that we just don't think that if God is real and he's alive, we would ever face these sort of things. Wrestle through that stuff. Because the problem is, is so many times we get to that moment of wrestling and rather than walk through that difficult process of allowing everything to be stripped away from us in restoration... If you're going to be restored, it's just like restoring that vehicle or that house. The walls have to be torn down. I have to be humbled. Everything that I have built up needs to go in order for God to rebuild who I am. 
And the same thing was true for Jacob. Jacob had to get to the point where he faced God face to face and felt the power of the God of his father and the God of his grandfather. And what I think happens in this moment with Jacob, and we're going to talk more about this next week, is that Jacob has this moment where all of a sudden the God that he's heard about from his father and the God that he heard about from his grandfather and the God that had blessed his family, this blessing that he's counting on as he goes through all of this, I believe that in this moment, that God that he was around and heard about became his God. And so often when we're around God and we're building our plans and asking God to bless them, there comes this moment where things have, we come into a conflict with God and we find ourselves wrestling with him. Jacob does one thing correct in this passage. Well, I think he does a few things correct, but one thing that I want to point out to you today. doesn't let go. I have known so many people and I have been tempted to in my life to in the midst of the wrestling let go and leave before the restoration process is over before God's done what he needs to do in my heart, before I'm fully surrendered, before I'm fully humbled, it's, it's so tempting. And I've known so many people that have started that wrestling match with God, trying to figure out how they fit and what God wants to do in their heart and their life and the work of grinding everything down and ripping everything out and humility and surrender is so much, it gets to the point that they let go of God and go their own way. If you want to receive God's blessing in your life, don't let go. There's a massive difference in faith between people who have made their plans been around God, come to church so that good things continue to happen to them, make their plans and ask God to bless them, and the people who have wrestled with God and not let go. I mean, you've met someone like that? Someone that's been through it? Someone whose life is radically different? I can look around the room right now and I know your stories. I know your life doesn't look the way it used to, and it's because you wrestled with God and didn't let go. And it wasn't fun. And it was painful. And Jacob bears the scars of this wrestling match with God for the rest of his life. And people that have wrestled with God and hung on to God through thick and thin, you bear the scars of that for the rest of your life. But it is a tried and true and tested faith. It's not a faith that exists in nice little sayings and things that you paint on pallet wood and hang on the wall. It is a tried and true and tested faith because you wrestled with God and didn't let go. And you bear the marks of that. But it is a faith that is deepened. And you know why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who per persecute it. Blessed are those who 
who are suffer for the faith. Because you've been there and you've experienced it. You've come through it. Jacob doesn't just bear the scars of this match. He also emerges from this with a new identity. His name has changed. He's Jacob no longer. Did you catch that in the text? He has a new identity because he's walked through this. He's no longer Jacob, but now his name is Israel, and God has given him that name. The name that the nation will take, and they will continue for generation after generation after generation to wrestle with God. We see this throughout Scripture. Jacob's not the only one. I see it in the life of someone like the Apostle Peter, disciple of Jesus, a man confident in his own ability, a man who needed to be humbled to the point of surrender. And maybe you know the story in Matthew chapter 14, where the disciples are out in the boat, and the wind and the waves are beating against the boat, and they're afraid in the midst of the storm. And all of a sudden, they see what appears to be a ghost moving across the top of the water, and they're very frightened. They have this moment of disillusionment. And Jesus calls out to them and he says, don't be worried, it's me. And Peter says, if that's really you, allow me, call me out and I'll walk on the water with you. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks to Jesus on the water. Do you remember this? And then all of a sudden he begins to look around and the wind and the waves, they, they start to threaten him. And so he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And God, Jesus holds out his hand and pulls him up. He says, Peter, why did you doubt? Now, here's the thing. It's a wrestling match with God out on the high seas with Peter. And God, Peter realizes that there's also a truth in Scripture that, yes, you should never let go of God in the midst of that wrestling match. One of the beautiful things about God's grace and mercy is he doesn't let go of you, even if you let go of him. When I heard John Ortberg uh, preach a sermon when I was in seminary on this passage, he brought up something that I had never thought of before. That we shake our heads at Peter. Oh, Peter, you sunk. But there's 11 other disciples that have no idea what it's like to walk on water. There's only one. Peter denied Jesus when he was being crucified and found out God forgives and God restores. It was a wrestling match between his own faith and what people thought about him. So there Jesus is going to his death and Peter's saying, I didn't know this guy. I don't know this guy. After walking with him daily for three years, it's a wrestling match with God. And when the church is established on Pentecost, who preaches the sermon? The guy that's wrestled with God and come through it. The guy whose faith is through the roof because he knows when the wind and the waves are high, God will pick him up. The guy who's denied Christ and found forgiveness so he can boldly declare to the thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem on Pentecost that they too can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ because he had wrestled with God and come out on the other side. And he bore the scars of that reality, had his new identity in Christ so that he could go and proclaim. And the text says that thousands were added to their number that day. And Peter's not the only one who wrestled with God. Stay with me for one more second. Jesus wrestled with God. 
night before he went to the cross, in the garden, Father, if there is any other way to do this, let's do that. Stressed, hunched over the rocks, one writer saying, so stressed that the sweat was like drops of blood. Then he says those words. Not my will, but your will be done. He wrestled and hung on to God. Jesus bore a new identity out of that wrestling match. Resurrected Savior and Lord. Exalted in heaven, Paul tells us in Philippians. And he bears the scars of that wrestling match. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, spear in his side. But it opens the door for you and I to be made new. I invite our worship team to come as we close this morning. And invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. I don't know where you are this morning. But I know there's some people in the room that you have gotten into these wrestling matches with God and it just didn't seem like it was worth it. And so you let go and you went your own way. Still relying on yourself to make everything right. I want you to know that God has not let go of you. That if you would turn around, he is there to ready to do the work in your life of true restoration and being made new. It's not easy work and it's probably not going to happen overnight. But if you will surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, God will begin an amazing process of transforming your heart and transforming your mind, making you into the image of Christ, making you into the person that God created you to be. He knows what you're supposed to look like, and he's the one with the ability to bring it about. Some of you are in the midst of the wrestling match, and you're not sure it's worth it. Keep holding on. Keep fighting for God's blessing. Keep trusting him. It is worth it. And some of you have come through it. You've been through this battle and you've walked away and you have the spiritual limp to prove it. You have the new identity in Christ to prove it. The old has gone and the new has come Turn around and encourage those who are still fighting. Turn around and encourage those who are, who are on the verge of letting go to keep going. Let your testimony of what God has done in your life be shared so that others can experience the restoration. God, this morning we come before you and we surrender everything to you we hold on to you, trusting that you are the only one 
who can bring about in our lives the things that need to happen. Father, our hearts need to be made new. Our minds need to be made new. Our relationship with you needs to be restored. So God, do your work inside of us by your spirit. Restore us, transform us, make us new. That we might know the blessing of new identity in Christ. New relationship with you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's worship our God.